11, The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a shame, uh, not a shame-based, that would be the opposite, right? A hold-the-shame, strength-based, become the person you always wanted to be away, then head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you will find a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And you can find me at Instagram, at Virtual Couch, on Facebook, at Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And please stop by TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out more about some exciting things that are coming up. I was very, very open last week about a magnetic marriage course that is coming up soon with uh, with a good friend of mine, someone that is helping me put the course together. And I will be sharing so much more about, about the program, about him coming up. It, and, and I really cannot wait for this, to talk more about this program. I feel like we've cracked some sort of code on how to, how to do these uh, just conversations, these almost conversation scripts that will, that will help people learn to communicate better with their spouse based on the emotionally focused therapy EFT information by Sue Johnson that I talk so much about on my podcast. So sign up now, TonyOverbay.com, and you'll be one of the first to know about when this program is available, what it's going to be like, what it consists of, all that good stuff. And uh, I think we are ready to get to today's podcast. And today I'm turning back to my favorite book, The Confidence Gap. And The Confidence Gap is a book on acceptance and commitment therapy. It's by Russ Harris. Anyway, I highly recommend the book, The Confidence Gap. And I've already started the podcast topic here of the day. But also, don't forget, I have a free parenting course that is available on my website, tonyoverbay.com slash courses. And it's about parenting positively, even in the not so positive of times. So that is a free parenting course. It's based on the nurtured heart approach and, uh, and I have great feedback on that one. So please go take that free parenting course. Okay. The, what, well, here's what I want to get to. Let me, let me, let me paint a picture. Let me tell a story. In the book, The Confidence Gap, again by Russ Harris, he tells a story about a bleak desert wasteland populated by lost souls. He says, here there's no escape from the ravages of the scorching sun, the plagues of flies, and the ever-present threat of violence. Murder and mayhem, rape and revenge, torture and torment, these are not freak occurrences, but parts of the daily routine for those who live here. And he goes on to say that if you've seen the movie The Proposition, you'll know what he's talking about. It's a grim and extremely violent Western. He, He goes on to say, brilliant but horrific. I can admit that I have not seen this. Set in the Australian outback in the 18, in 1880, it was filmed on location in the middle of the summer, and the actors had to cope with blistering heat and huge swarms of flies constantly buzzing all around them. So he says, obviously, actors couldn't keep from waving those flies away, and I think we've probably already been, all been there. As a matter of fact, I was uh, moving things. I was moving offices from one office in my building to another, and I did. I had a fly just tagging along for the ride the entire time, and I must have tried to swat that thing a hundred times. So... I was not channeling my um, my inner Russ Harris in the story that I'm going to tell you about over this past weekend for sure. But he said that the actors, they can't help keep to try to keep waving the flies away or they would ruin all the shots. So they had to let these flies crawl on their faces without reacting. And he said that also made it really authentic because historical advisors had come on to the, the movie shoot 
and had suggested, or not even suggested, it said that people back in the day just didn't swat the flies all the time because the flies were everywhere. So so that made it more authentic. Um, the, the advisors believe that people in that era would have been so used to flies crawling over them that they wouldn't have been constantly shooing them away. And there was a lead actor in the film. His name was Ray Winstone. And he said he always wondered how the lions and wildlife documentaries seem so oblivious to all the flies. And I have thought that as well when they're kind of all over their eyes and that sort of thing. However, he said after a few days of filming, he kind of got used to them. So soon he was able to let the flies be there without being bothered by them. And he actually went on to say that the flies on his face felt like feathers stroking my face. Now, I am not a fan of flies, so I cannot imagine getting to this place where I feel like flies are like feathers stroking my face. But uh, Russ talks about that's the, the amazing attitude shift that this Ray Winstone took. Because under normal circumstances, uh, we try as hard as we can to get rid of flies. Like I did this over this past weekend. And we, we swat at them and spray them and just get rid of them. And we get so frustrated by them. And he, he talks about putting out traps or screens. Or as a matter of fact, today I have an electronic spider remover that I, that I just remembered that I bought. And uh, if you've heard some of the previous episodes in my in my previous office, there was an episode of the podcast where I was talking and literally a spider ran across my desk. And uh, I felt like I was starting to see a spider a day. And I don't think that's like a keeps a doctor away kind of thing. So um, I'm in a new office. It's it's clean, freshly painted. And I have this electronic spider getter. But I dig- I digress. I'll tell you how that works. I'll kind of follow up on that. But But he goes on to say that, you know, of course, we're going to hate the idea of letting flies crawl on us because it's natural. We know they're dirty. They carry germs. Uh, they may contaminate our food that we can get sick. And so yet when Ray Winstone diffused from all those thoughts and mindfully noticed the actual sensation of flies crawling on him, he discovered it was nowhere near as bad as he had expected. So uh, Russ Harris goes on to say in the book, The Confidence Gap, he's like, eh, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to let flies crawl over you. But he said, I'd like you to consider the possibility. Suppose you could change your attitude toward your own fear in the same way that Ray Winstone did with the flies. Suppose you could diffuse from all those thoughts about how bad or unpleasant your fears are. And, and I'm talking about these fears that are with us all the time and, and how much you dislike them. Instead of trying to make them go away, you non-judgmentally notice the physical sensations. And if your mind is saying something right now, like, why would I bother? The answer is simple. Trying to get rid of your fears takes up so much energy and it is so distracting. He goes on to say, like constantly trying to shoo flies away, that it can be very hard to fully engage in your life when you're busy struggling with your feelings. Now, I deal a lot with people who struggle with anxiety, and I feel like this really speaks to people with anxiety, that they spend so much time worrying, worrying about what if, what if this happens, what if this happens? And we've, we've identified in previous podcast episodes when we talk about our good friend anxiety that, first of all, your brain thinks it's doing you a favor. It thinks it needs to warn you about all of these scary things because if they, if they happen, if they come to pass, then something bad might happen. But that, that crippling, that fear, that, that just anxiety trap can be so much that we spend so much time and energy and mental calories and we get exhausted just overthinking and ruminating and just constantly processing the but this happened in the past and this might happen in the future. So the reason I wanted to talk about this today is I want to talk about making room for feelings, for expanding, as uh, they call it in acceptance and commitment therapy, expansion. So acknowledging the feelings and inviting them to come along for the ride. I had a client uh, a couple of days ago, a new client, and they were talking about just this constant feeling of anxiety to the point of where they, and they said to me, and this, bless their hearts, when they say this stuff in my office, it just... You know, I just feel so bad for what they must be going through. But they said, 
and, and, you know, I'll find myself all of a sudden thinking these, these anxious thoughts, these negative thoughts, these, you know, I'm a failure. I can't provide for my family. I don't like my job. And they just get so anxious. And then they say, and then I just tell myself, come on, knock it off. Like, I know I shouldn't be thinking these things. And that's where I just want to take a quick pause. So remember, what is pretty amazing about acceptance and commitment therapy is let's go back to that. And, and I, I say this all the time because it's so powerful, but you're having the thoughts and the feelings and the sensations and the emotions that you have because you are a human being and you are the only version of you that has ever existed. And you have all of the things that you bring to the table in that very moment. You all have, again, nature, nurture, DNA, birth order, abandonment, rejection, hope, fear, dreams, loss. All of those things go into that moment. So you feel because you're human. So when somebody else tells you, well, don't, don't worry about it or don't feel that way, not so easy, is it? Because you're the one having the experience. So then when someone is saying to you, don't feel that way, don't worry about it. Here's what I do. That's where we have this kind of natural pushback. And I've done an episode on this one. It's called psychological reactance. It's that instant negative reaction of being told what to do. So already, this is where we're operating from. When we're in a situation and we have these thoughts, these feelings, these emotions, that we are human, but we're beating ourselves up about it. We're saying, I know I shouldn't be thinking this. Why am I thinking this? I can't believe I'm thinking this. I've tried to stop thinking this. But all the while, what if the key was just to saying, I'm thinking this, note it. I, 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 of course I'm thinking this, I'm, I'm human. You know, I'm, uh, I'm going into a new situation. Now my anxiety might say, what if, what if this doesn't work? What if people don't like you? What if you don't know what to say? What if you freeze up? What if you withdraw? And so all of those things, all those what ifs cause anxiety and that anxiety again becomes crippling. And so instead of, and then, and then we'll th- say, oh, come on, you know, uh, don't think that, come on, be positive, just be happy, just go in there, just but you're battling your own brain and your own brain can do this psychological reactance. If you're telling your own brain, don't think this thought. I mean, we know how that one works. Don't think of the white elephant right now, or don't think of the pink elephant or don't, you know, and you just thought about it. And unless again, you're a 12 year old boy and they always say, no, I didn't, but, but I know they did. That's the secret. So invite those feelings, those thoughts, those emotions to come along with you. Note them. You know, when I catch myself, ruminating when I catch myself beating myself up about something I just instead I just need to drop the rope on the tug of war with that thought or that emotion and just say there it is you know I'm thinking that note it and then I just gently bring myself back to present I walk into the room I take the next step I turn back to my computer I start writing the next chapter of my next book and and then when my brain says um you don't even know what you're doing like nobody's gonna buy this next book nobody's gonna read this next book why don't you go on YouTube? Why don't you find some funny dog fail videos? You know, why don't you do something like that? Then I, instead of going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I've got this opportunity. How, why can't I seize this opportunity? What's wrong with me? Nothing. I'm human. So when I note or recognize those thoughts or those feelings or those emotions, just gently thank my brain for, uh, for trying to distract me because it's, yeah, it's scary to keep writing a book. It's scary to think that what if nobody wants to read it? Those are frightening things, but that's not even the debate. That's not even the argument right now. So let me get to, I, I love in the confidence gap, a lot of what Russ Harris does. And he even it's, he says myth busting time again. And he breaks so many of these pop psychology myths, which is one of the things I love to do because so many of these pop psychology myths kind of keep us stuck. So he says at this point, a lot of his clients start to protest, especially 
if they've been struggling with performance anxiety. They like to trot out the myth that high levels of anxiety impair your performance and therefore you must reduce your anxiety. And he says, unfortunately, this deeply held belief is not only regurgitated in many books on business and sports psychology, but also in many popular self-help books. So he says, luckily, there is plenty of published research to show that it is absolutely not true. For example, a common sense uh, suggests that if you feel less anxious during academic tests, then you'll perform better. But in 1988, which is the year I graduated high school, I might add, psychologists A.R. Rich and D.K. Wooliver published fascinating research that clearly showed this is not the case. They showed that when taking academic tests, most people have similar levels of anxiety And what determines their performance is not their anxiety level, but their capacity for task-focused attention. So in other words, um, Russ Harris says that if they could engage fully in the exam, instead of getting distracted by their own thoughts and feelings, they perform well no matter how anxious they were. So let me talk about that again. I remember taking my uh, licensing exams, and I remember for to be a therapist, the state licensing boards, and I remember being incredibly nervous, and I remember... I had an online coaching program to help me study and learn how to take this test because it was it's a major test. If you fail it, you have to wait a few months before you get your license. And I remember some in, in this test prep, it said, hey, everyone going in there is going to be nervous. And, and it doesn't benefit us any to kind of say, well, I, I bet I'm more nervous than they are. Or are they more nervous than me? We're all nervous. So we note those nerves and then we get back to focusing on the test. And then our, our brains leave and say, you know, okay, you're running out of time. You didn't know that answer. You didn't know. And it's all causing this anxiety, these nerves. And just to gently note them and, and, and say, no, I see you, anxiety. I see you, brain, trying to kind of get me off the path here. But I'm going to get back to taking the test. So inviting those feelings, those emotions to come along for the ride. He said that other published studies in the fields of both athletic and sexual performance show similar results. Um, and these are by psychologists D.H. Barlow, T.J. Bruce, uh, Hanton, Hardy, Jones, and, uh, and I can maybe link to some of those in the show notes. But performance is not related to levels of anxiety, but it, it's to capacity for task-focused attention. Athletes and, and lovers who engage fully in the task perform best. Those who get distracted by their own thoughts and feelings perform worst. I, I've worked with a professional athlete or two, and, and it is fascinating to hear that, oh, absolutely, they talk about being nervous. Um, someone getting into the the octagon, an MMA fighter, they are nervous, but they're able to just use that those nerves to their uh, to their advantage. They're able to say, "I, I just kind of leave my nervousness there in my corner, or my nervousness comes out onto the floor with me, and I invite it to come along." But then, when I am engaged in a fight, then I just am so present, I'm so focused in the moment, and and that's the way to kind of work through that. But because the nerves will stop someone from even getting out there to try. So when you put all of your mindfulness skills together, when you unhook from help, unhelpful thoughts, where you make room for unpleasant feelings, engage fully in the task you're doing, you will perform well, regardless of how anxious you are. Again, we're going to bring that anxiety along with us. So furthermore, uh, Russ says the energy that you once spent on struggling with fear can now be invested in actually taking that effective action. So so I want to talk about ex- engagement and expansion specifically. And in the confidence gap, there and, and I've talked so much about this in acceptance and commitment therapy. Um, Russ Harris talks about these modes of avoidance. There's this thing called experiential avoidance, and that is one of my my favorite phrases. Experiential avoidance is avoiding what what the task at hand is. Let me go back to this. I have to come into my office early, and I have to let's say write or work on this marriage program that I'm working on, and I have these specific tasks that I have to do. 
And experiential avoidance is saying, okay, I will do them as soon as I just answer a few emails. Or I'll do those things as soon as I do a little bit of research because I've got a client coming in that has a particular challenge. And so I'm experientially avoiding the task at hand because I am anxious about whether or not I can perform the task at hand. You know, I see this, this list of things that I need to write for this marriage program to really put this thing into action. And I worry, my nerves are saying, well, what if you really don't know what to say? Or what if your words aren't powerful enough to help and invoke the change that you want to help? So then my brain says, okay, I'll, you know what? I will do that after I do this other thing. And an experiential avoidance is one of those things that leads to the ever familiar, you know, starting the diet on Monday, Tuesday, whatever. And then it's all of a sudden I've, I've, I've blown the diet and then experiential avoidance is like, okay, you know what? I'm going to get back onto it on Monday. But uh, for right now, I'm not going to worry about that. So experiential avoidance is what allows us to kick the can down the road, that sort of thing. And then uh, so so it, the more time we spend in these states of, of avoidance or in states of autopilot, uh, Russ says, the more we amplify our fear and the greater the negative impact it has on our lives. So we're talking, he says, you're already familiar with engagement, which is being fully conscious, living in the present, making contact with the here and now, being just incredibly and fully aware and connected with your your experience, the right now, the right here moment. So that is what we are talking about when we talk about engagement. So engagement is the very opposite of autopilot. And he says, similarly, expansion is the opposite of avoidance. So in expansion mode, rather than trying to get rid of unpleasant feelings, we're going to open ourselves up and we're going to accommodate them. And stay with me here if this is starting to sound a little too woo-woo, a little too zen. But we are going to make room for unpleasant feelings. We're going to invite them to come along and they can come and they can go in their own good time. We're going to leave the door open for them. We're going to leave the light on for them. We're not going to fight them. We're we're even going to acknowledge them. We're going to recognize unpleasant feelings. Hey, I see you, Anger. Thanks for stopping by. Um, I will. I'm I'm not going to fight you. If you want to hang out, there's some M&Ms in here. There's a nice couch you can take a little rest on. But I'm going to get back to doing some things that are in my present uh right here in front of me. And so, uh, so I'm not even going to worry about the anger or I'm going to just, again, let the rope drop on the tug of war with anger. And an example of this is, is those who may have teenagers, there are going to be times that your teenager may anger you. Let me take a hypothetical situation. Let's just say a daughter is coming home, uh, let's say curfews midnight. And let's say that it is past midnight and daughter is not home yet. And this maybe has been a pattern over time. So when daughter gets home, there you are angry. You are a human being. You have set rules and boundaries and you have all those thoughts about uh, all the stuff I do for you and you can't keep in contact with me and this is why I buy you a phone and all the things that I've heard so many times in my office. So you're going to have that anger. And so there's nothing wrong with you for having that anger. And if you say, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? I need... I'm so tired of being angry. You know, I shouldn't be angry or I should be angry. I need to let her know about my anger. All of those things get you away from the task at hand, which is having that conversation with your daughter. So anger, you can acknowledge it. Yeah, I'm I'm noticing that I'm feeling anger. I'm noticing that I'm feeling angry. I'm human. I'm. I, these are all the things that I bring to the table right now, all of my thoughts and feelings and emotions. Anger is one of them. So uh, acknowledge it, noted. So now let me get back to trying to be fully present to talk to my daughter, to make sure she's okay, to check in with her at first, to find out if there's any reason why maybe she was late, to seek first to understand. So I have to put my anger aside in order to be fully engaged in the here and now. Um, it, it, Russ Harris talks a, a pretty, well, let me, uh, he says, 
we'll get we'll get to a quick story here. So he again he says that we make room for unpleasant feelings, allow them to come and go. It doesn't mean we like them or that we want them or that we approve of them. That being the unpleasant feelings. We just stop investing our time and effort in fighting them. And the more space we can give to these difficult feelings, the smaller their impact and influence on our lives. Very cool story alert coming up now. So uh, uh, dial in, tune in. Here we go. He says there's an ancient Indian tale that illustrates this point so well. An old Hindu master was fed up with the continual complaints and grumbles of his apprentice. So one day he asked the young man to fetch him a cup of water and a bowl of salt. So when the young man returned, the master said, now tip a handful of salt into the water. The apprentice did so. The master then swirled the water around in the cup until all the salt had dissolved. Now taste it, he said to the apprentice. The apprentice took a sip and screwed up his face in disgust. How does it taste? Asked the master. Horrible, said the apprentice. The master chuckled. Yeah, it's very unpleasant, he said. Now follow me. And they walked down to the edge of a nearby lake. And the master said, now tip a handful of salt into the lake. And the apprentice did so. The master said, now taste the water from the lake. And the apprentice drank from the lake. And this time he smiled. That wasn't very hard to swallow, was it? Said the master. This salt is like the inevitable pain in life. In both cases, the amount of salt is the same. But the smaller the container, the greater the bitterness. So when life gives us pain, instead of closing in around it like this little cup, we would do better to enlarge and open like the lake. I love that concept. So we are going to have the pain and the Again, we're going to have all the things that we have, the pain, the emotion, the feelings, because we're human and because we are going through life. But if we can make more room for that pain, we basically can somewhat dilute the pain and we, we expand. We make more room for it. We don't try to push it away. We don't try to beat ourselves up for it. He says, it's a lovely story, isn't it? But, uh, but he's like, now it's time to knuckle down and do it. I love that phrase. So, so let's get into the world of acronyms. Russ Harris in The Confidence Gap says, uh, name your feelings. To handle any strong emotion effectively, we need to name it. And he says, name is an acronym that stands for the N is notice. The A is acknowledge. The M is the make space. And the E is expand awareness. So this is, a, I really want to kind of just walk through this. So he said that we can use the name technique for any difficult emotion or feeling or sensation. But right now he's like, let's, let's use the, the concept of fear. Um, and, uh, but so let's summarize these four steps. And then, and then Russ Hare says, then he will give you instructions on how to put this into action. So at first glance, this exercise might seem it's a little bit long, it's complex, but you will find that it is so much easier and quicker to do, to do it than to read it. And with practice, I promise you, this gets easier and easier and easier. So he says, once you know what you're doing, you can honestly zip through this name exercise in, in a few seconds. So step one, to notice. So noticing or paying attention is at the very heart of mindfulness or being present. He says, just as the first step in diffusion is to notice your thoughts, the first step in expansion is to notice your feelings. So when fear shows up in your body, notice where it is and what it feels like. So notice where the feeling is and what it feels like. Step two, the A is acknowledge. So he said, here we use a simple self-talk to acknowledge that the fear is present. We silently say to ourselves something like, I'm noticing fear, or here's a feeling of fear, or here's fear. Um, These ways of speaking can feel unnatural, but they truly serve a purpose because they help us. And this is so key. They help us separate from the feeling to some degree. He says, notice the difference of saying, here's fear and I'm afraid, or I'm noticing fear versus I'm scared. If we use the phrase, I'm noticing, or here's a feeling of, it helps us remember, and this is so key, that we are not our feelings. Our feelings are transient events. They're things that come and go 
They're continually passing through us and changing like the weather. They don't define who we are or dictate what, what we do. So that is so important. So, and, and I do this with clients often. If they're saying, I'm mad, okay? No, I, I'm, I'm noticing that I'm feeling mad. Or man, here's, here's, look at this. Let me know. Here's anger. I'm noticing anger. So I'm, I'm still me. I'm Tony. And I have a whole lot of uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions that come and go, pass through me like, like the changing weather. So I notice fear. I notice anger. I notice sadness. So then he says, step three, the M, make space. So here we breathe into the feeling, stay with me. If you are not a mindfulness guru, if you don't have your mat or ponytail right there by your desk, please stay with me right here. He says, we breathe into the feeling. We psychologically open up. We make room for it. When we breathe deeply, it helps us anchor in the present. And when we direct our breath into and around the feeling, it helps us drop the struggle with it. The fear is still present, but the more space we give it, the less impact and influence it has on our behavior. I will be so quick with this, I promise. Start a daily mindfulness practice. Whether you use an app, whether you watch something on YouTube, whether you do yoga, whatever you do, start a practice right now. And even if it is just take a step back right now and just, you know, kind of square off your shoulders, sit up in your chair and just breathe in through your nose. Three breaths, uh, three, the count of three, one, two, three. And when you, when you get to the top of that breath, count the number one. And then when you breathe out through your mouth, then same thing, exhale one, two, three, and count two. And in count three and just try to get to 10 and watch what happens. It can be so hard. There are times where I will sit there and I've been doing this for years and, uh, and you might get to four or five and all of a sudden, oh, wow, I'm thinking about something about work. Kind of just gently note that you are not counting and you come back and you start over at one again. That's a practice I use to help put me to sleep at night. That's a practice I use if I'm waiting in line because it just helps bring you back to the present moment. And again, Mindfulness is not about clearing your head of thoughts. That is darn near impossible to do. Your brain's going to think. Mindfulness is about allowing your brain to think and then training it to come right back to thinking about breathing, thinking about sensations or being in the moment. Because the more you practice that, the more that when you catch yourself thinking some negative thought or some scary thought, you note it. Oh, there's fear. Then you kind of get centered. You do a little bit of your breathing exercise. You breathe into it. And before you know it, you're just right back in the moment. You're right back to centered. So the E in the name acronym is expand awareness. So he says, having created space for the feeling, we need to re-engage with the world around us. This last stage draws on our engagement skills. So we continue to notice the feelings. We simultaneously connect with the world around us. So, all right, he says, here's the summary. I'll take you through it in detail. And, uh, And I love this. He says, if you'd like a voice to guide you, which I'm about to do on my podcast, thank you, Russ Harris. He says, you'll find this exercise on Mindfulness Skills Volume 1, which is available as an MP3 from thehappinesstrap.com. I highly, highly recommend spending some time on thehappinesstrap.com. So again, I am going to take you through this exercise in detail. And this is In the Confidence Gap by Dr. Russ Harris. I want to take nothing away from his books have, have literally changed my life. So highly recommend it. So he says, before we begin, you'll need to dredge up some fear so that you've got something to work with. So he suggests going back and looking at your values guided goals. If you've been, if you were reading this book and find one that brings up fear. So, but find a fear, find a fear, a worry. I mean, something that really brings an intense fear to mind. And he says, now imagine yourself taking some sort of action toward this goal. 
So let's say, and I know he brings this one up and I, I mentioned this one earlier, sitting down to write a book or attending an interview or asking a person on a date or taking out a business loan or enrolling in a course or entering a tournament or going for an audition and any of those type of things that, that bring you fear. Take a moment and I want you to think about something like that that just brings you some fear. He says, imagine it as vividly as you can. And if you need to pause this for a second and just sit and imagine it, sit with the fear for a moment, please do. So he says, imagine it as vividly as you can. For example, as you take this action, what are you doing with your arms and your legs? You know, what can you, what can you see? What can you hear? What can you touch? What can you taste? And what can you smell? And, and really be in that moment and think about those things. What are you hearing? When you're thinking about the audition, what are you hearing when you are sitting down to write your book? What can, what, what, what are you touching? A keyboard, a desk? I just touched my microphone. Um, what, what are you tasting in your mouth? Is it dry? Like mine continues to be this morning. Is it smell? I've got a, got a little uh, passion fruit essential oil diffuser going in my office right now. It smells wonderful. But as you imagine it, see if you can get in touch with your fear. Try to bring that up and feel it. And he said, if you can't tap into your fear merely by thinking about it, then another way is to make a firm commitment. What's one small step that you will take today and a larger step that you'll take tomorrow that will get you moving towards your goal? Commit to this right now. And he says, chances are fear will show up straight away. If I tell myself I am going to finish a chapter of my next book on emotional baseline today, I mean, already I'm thinking, well, I got a lot of clients going on today and then I want to get home and I've got a couple of breaks and I need to make phone calls and I got to work on this program. So I, I don't, I scary. So, you know, again, and he says, uh, if that still doesn't do the trick and, and bring you the, the fear, then make your commitment publicly to somebody that you care about in person, by phone, or email, social media. He says that's virtually guaranteed to rev up a fight or flight response. So he said, please do this now as best as you can. Take as long as you need then once you've tapped into some fear, once you're feeling emotion and fear, then he said, let's take it and let's name it and let's tame it. So let's name and tame that fear. So a quick reminder, name stands for notice, acknowledge, make space and expand awareness. So bringing your fear with you so that we can work with it is what we need to do right now. So he says, let's get started. So notice, he said, most people feel fear or many people feel fear most intensely in their throat or their chest or their abdomen, but you might notice it in any part of your body. So take a few seconds while you're feeling this fear right now and scan yourself from head to toe and notice all the different sensations of fear. What can you feel in your forehead or your eyes or your jaws or your mouth or your throat, neck, shoulders, arms, hands, chest, abdomen, pelvis, buttocks, legs, feet? Where do you feel yours? I had Dr. Mary Wild on my podcast a few months ago to talk about anxiety. And we did an exercise where, you know, I feel mine often in my, my gut, my stomach. And, and I'm doing it right now. I put my hand on my gut. And uh, where do you feel it? Where do you feel your fear? Or you might feel it in your chest and just put your hand there. So he said, now zoom in on the part of your body where the sensations are strongest. And remember, life is like a stage show. And on that stage are all of your thoughts all of your feelings and everything that you can see and hear, touch and taste and smell. So shine a bright spotlight on this part of your body. So for me, it would be on my abdomen, my stomach. And observe the sensations as if you are a curious scientist. And this, again, stay with me here. So because as you observe these sensations and feelings, you are, you are not thinking about the fear. It's fascinating. So he says, if your mind starts to get all worked up, I hate this feeling. I can't stand this feeling. I have to get rid of this feeling. 
thank your brain for those comments and let your brain chatter away like a radio in the background. And at the moment you realize that you've been hooked to one of those thoughts, like, I don't want to do this. I don't have time to do this. I don't like this. Again, thank your brain and acknowledge your brain, unhook from that thought and get back to the exercise that we're doing to just sit and feel that, that where that fear is. He said, notice what the feelings, where the feeling starts and stops. Is it moving? Is it, is it on the surface of your body? Is it deep inside your body? If you drew an outline around it, what shape would it be? I remember thinking about this forever. I mean, I picture this big round ball in my stomach. He said, notice the temperature. Is it all the same? Are there hot spots or cold spots? I picture this, this ball of fear in my stomach often that it's just, it's, it's heat, it radiates heat. I've had other people talk about how it's cold, you know, they're where they feel their fear, anxiety is a cold place. So notice the different elements within this feeling, pulsations or vibrations, throbbing, um, pressure, temperature, movement. And again and again, unhook yourself from thoughts like this is dumb. I don't even know why I'm doing this. And refocus on those sensations under the spotlight. Observe them with curiosity as again, if you were an archaeologist excavating a magnificent ancient temple, notice every tiny detail of where you're feeling this fear in your body. See if you can discover something new that you that you never previously noticed. So acknowledge. So now he says here, here use a few words that to acknowledge your feelings by name. Say to yourself, I'm noticing fear. Or here's a feeling of fear. Or here's fear. And feel free to substitute words like nerves or stress or anxiety. And here's the key. Make sure you do this non-judgmentally. Don't say, oh no, here's this horrible feeling again. And if you like, he says, you can also remind yourself, this is a normal feeling. This is what people feel when they face a challenge. 100% normal. Absolutely. So I would say, oh, okay. Thank you, brain, for pointing out that fear. You know, here's fear. I'm noticing fear. So then he says, make space. Here's the M. Breathe slowly. And de- I love right then. I just did it. When I knew we were about to do this and I'm feeling the fear, I just took a deep breath. Breathe slowly and deeply. And he says, first, breathe out. Push all the air out of your lungs every last bit until they are completely empty. Then pause for a second with your lungs empty. Then allow them to fill slowly from the bottom up. Then once again, breathe out slowly and steadily, completely emptying your lungs. Then as you breathe in, direct your breath into and around the feeling. And he says you can interpret this instruction any way you like. However, however you want to make sense of it's fine. But basically, in some way, sense or imagine your breath flowing into and around that feeling. So right there, my my breath is going around this ball, you know, this ball of heat mass of fear that is in my gut. And as you breathe into the feeling, imagine that in some magical way, a vast space opens up inside of you. Instead of closing down this feeling, trying to squash it or crush it, you open up and you make room for it. And I remember the first time I did something like this and, and as silly as I felt in my head, that I felt like I my, my I felt like my gut expanded, not not really what I would like in life, but it expanded enough to just make room for that feeling, and all of a sudden that 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 ball of fear seemed to shrink in my in my head because I was so focused around filling my my abdominal cavity with air to make room for this this feeling, and so you know again. He says, as you breathe and you're imagining this space opens up, instead of closing down this feeling, trying, you know, don't try to squash it or crush it. You open it up and make room for it. And he's like, he says, you don't have to like or want or approve of this feeling. You simply allow it to be there. And if you like, you could say to yourself, opening up or making room or let it be 
or you can use longer phrases like, I don't like it or want it, but I can make room for it. And keep those sensations under the spotlight, observing them with curiosity and keep breathing into them. Open up little by little, progressively creating more space around the feeling. And remember, you are not trying to get rid of this feeling. You're simply making room for it. And if you're somewhere private, one thing you can do that often helps is gently place your hand over the sensations and notice the warmth flowing from your hand into your body. See if you can soften up or loosen up around the feeling. Imagine holding it gently in your hand as if it's a tiny baby or a rare butterfly or a fragile, priceless piece of art. And do this for as long as required. Initially, it might take a few minutes to do this, to really start making sense of this or giving it space. But with practice, honestly, you can do this in just a few seconds. And if you're struggling with sensations in other parts of your body, then repeat the exercise there. Finally, he says the final step is to expand awareness so that 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 as well as, as you being aware of your feelings, you're also in touch with the world around you. In other words, you bring up the lights on the entire stage show. So he says, keep that spotlight on the feeling. Also start to bring up the lights on your body. Sit and stand up straight. Notice your arms, your legs, your head, your neck, your shoulders. Have a stretch if you like. I found myself doing that right now. Be aware of your body and your fear simultaneously. And bring the lights up on the world around you. Remain fully aware that your fear and your body, you also notice what you can see and hear and touch and taste and smell around you. And and this gives you this expansive awareness. So now you can see the whole stage show. You can engage in whatever you're doing right now. What's in front of you? What do you have to do next? And, and that is how this name technique works. He says, if you've never done anything like this before, you'll probably find it difficult at first. And I agree, like any other skill, you need to practice it. So he says, I hope you'll practice it at several times a day. You can practice this with any difficult emotion, not just fear. You can try it with anger or guilt, sadness, impatience, frustration. And you can make your practice sessions any length of time you want, from 30 seconds to 30 minutes. And with practice, you can do this anytime or any place in a meeting or on the sports field or in bed, at the office during an argument. He says on the toilet or in the shower. Indeed, it doesn't take long before you can run through all four steps in the space of just one deep breath. And, and I'll make this so quick. Part of that's because I have a client coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, five main pitfalls to be aware of. Well, number one, the hidden agenda. The purpose of expansion is to make room for difficult feelings and to accommodate them, not to evict them. So if you're practicing expansion, hoping it will get rid of your fear, then you are still in avoidance mode, still trying to avoid or get rid of these feelings or emotions. And as you've already seen, that doesn't work. That's why we're here. That's why we're talking about how do I, how do I reduce my anxiety? You know, you can't reverse hundreds of millions of years of uh, biological evolution that have gone on and primed and printed your brain to help you feel fear when facing a challenge. Your brain it bless its squishy pink heart. It thinks it's doing you a favor. So trying to get rid of your fear will only amplify it. Says uh, another pitfall is the illusion of control. At times you'll do this and, and, and you'll find that as the fear disappears, you will feel the sense of relief or relaxation. And at this point, it's easy to get hooked by the illusion that you found a clever way to control your feelings, a method of avoiding your fear. But if you start using expansion for that purpose, then you're back in avoidance mode. So if you if your fear disappears or reduces, by all means, it's great. Be present. Enjoy it. But don't come to expect it because regard, you know, it regarded as a lucky bonus because if you start to expect it, you'll be disappointed because these emotions are going to come up at any moment of any time. This is a tool to expand and make room for these emotions. Getting hooked. He says it's easy for your mind to get you to hook on these unhelpful stories or old favorites like I can't do it. It's too hard. I don't have time or I don't like this feeling or I think this exercise is stupid or I don't want to get rid of it. You know, you can... Um, you can't keep those thoughts from showing up. So don't even try. Just let them come and go like passing cars. And, and I love that, that mindset. You know, your thoughts, feelings, they're, they're like passing cars. Watch them go by. Watch the traffic. Sit back on the side of the road. And then tolerance. He says sometimes people think expansion is about tolerating their fear. 
grinning and bearing it, putting up with it, or even resigning themselves to it, this is way off the mark. In expansion, we aim to allow our fear, and, and that doesn't mean we like it or want it or approve of it. It simply means we give it space. We allow it to do its own thing. So he says, to clarify this, imagine that you have an avoidance dial at the back of your mind. The dial goes from zero to 10. When it's on 10, you're in total avoidance mode. You will do whatever you possibly can to avoid or get rid of a feeling. You're turning to addictive substances, video games, TV, whatever. I mean, you do not want it. When it's on zero, you don't like or you want the feeling, but you invest absolutely no effort whatsoever in trying to get rid of it. So you're sad, but you're going to continue to go and move forward. You're angry, but you've got to get back to work and and do things like that. So he says, when the dial's at zero, we call this acceptance. When the dial is hit around five, we call it tolerance. And he says that tolerance means you're moving in the direction of acceptance, but you're not there yet. If you sense that you're tolerating rather than accepting, that's okay. It's a great start, but just recognize there's more practice to be done. The experience of fully accepting a feeling and totally dropping the struggle with it is very different than tolerating or putting up with it. And the last point, forgetting the point, he says we easily forget the point of expansion, which is to make room for difficult feelings in order to live by our values. If we want to live rich and full lives guided by our values, then we have to leave our comfort zones repeatedly. And each time we do, we'll feel fear. Expansion enables us to feel fear without struggle so that we can invest our energy in acting on our values. So name it, uh, right? I mean, this that, that name, the name um, acronym, notice the feeling, acknowledge the feeling, make space for the feeling, and expand awareness. So I, I hope you stuck with me. I know that this one kind of got out in the weeds. It didn't get out in the weeds. I love this episode. I love expansion. I do. It's been a game changer. It's been able to re- invite your emotions to come along with you because when you fight your emotions, you are just digging, your brain's going to dig its heels in and say, you know, I I will fight you on saying that you shouldn't have this emotion because you should. And so we are going to have a bunch of emotions and thoughts and feelings because we're human and just learn, practice this, this ability to make room and expand, make room for those emotions and feelings so that you can get back to your, your business of just going about your day and doing things that are important to you. All right. uh, I will, I will see you next time on the virtual couch and taking us out as per usual is the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence and her song. It's wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most It's wonderful